Hi, history buffs. My name is Leslie Shank, and today I am here to tell you the story of CSU's infamous Beer Inn of 1968. But before we get there, I need to give you a little context about what was going on in Fort Collins and at Colorado State University in 1968 that led over 3,000 students to gather with hundreds of cases of Coors Banquet and why that was such a big deal. You see, Fort Collins had actually been a dry town since 1896. In the early days of Fort Collins, the town seemed straight out of your stereotypical Western movie. Saloons, brothels, and rambunctious cowboys on every street corner. Crime rates were staggering, especially domestic violence. So in trying to control these issues, local officials took inspiration from Eastern anti-saloon leagues and temperance societies and began to pinpoint alcohol and saloons as the source of the town's growing problems. They initially raised liquor license prices, but when Frederick R. Baker, a big supporter of the anti-alcohol movement, became mayor in 1896, Fort Collins' prohibition would this time last 73 years. Passed in 1896, Ordinance No. 8 prohibited the purchase, sale, and gifting of alcohol. Notably, this occurred more than two decades before federal prohibition was enacted. And even after federal prohibition was overturned by the Cullen-Harrison Act in 1933, the Fort Collins community held tight to its conservative stance towards alcohol. Full-strength booze remained illegal, but the city did allow for 3.2% beer, as compared to full-strength beer, which has an alcohol content of 4.8%. Three two establishments quickly popped up, most on the edge of town, because the city placed heavy restrictions on where exactly these bars were allowed. Mixed drinks could actually be purchased outside city limits, at places such as the Charcoal Broiler, the Black Knight Inn, which is where our Olive Garden is currently, Lad's Covered Wagon, and the Deer Heart Inn. Now let's jump forward to the 1960s. This was a big time of change for Fort Collins, CSU, and the United States. From 1960 to 1970, Fort Collins' population would jump from 25,000 to 43,000. In my interview with Harold Miller, who attended CSU from the fall of 1964 to the spring of 1969, he told me that Fort Collins was the central agricultural hub for the high plains of Colorado and Wyoming. CSU was the premier agricultural school of the West, and Miller really emphasized that the whole Fort Collins community was very supportive towards people in agriculture. That being said, Fort Collins wasn't immune to the waves of change that were rippling throughout the country. The Plaza and Student Union, which is what they called the Student Center, were bustling with hippies and Hare Krishnas, and the Vietnam War was in full swing. Harold Miller actually was drafted in the fall after graduating from CSU and served 19 months in Vietnam, earning a Bronze Star. He said that there was some discontent with the war in the CSU community, but nothing like he experienced in some of the bigger cities. I also had the opportunity to interview Marvin Jefferson, who attended CSU from the fall of 1968 to the spring of 1972. He was a freshman when the first lottery for the draft was conducted. He remembers going down to the lobby of Braden Hall, which was an all-boys dorm at the time, where everyone would gather around the TV to watch the numbers being called. No one in his personal circle was called, but he definitely took note when certain people in his dorm or classes didn't come back the next semester. But as far as the city's prohibition was concerned, Jefferson stressed that Fort Collins and the university seemed to have a very tolerant attitude for looking the other way on alcohol use and abuse. He noted that there didn't really seem to be any enforcement of the ban, and that it was like everyone was drinking, and it seems like everyone thought it was fine. Jefferson described going to football games to me at the then-new Hughes Stadium. He said that technically there wasn't supposed to be any alcohol in the stadium, not sold there or brought in. But by halftime, students would line discarded beer and liquor bottles on the wall at the bottom of the bleachers all the way from one end zone down to the other. 
You see, even though full-strength alcohol was illegal, much of the community, especially the younger generations, didn't necessarily support the ban. Students at CSU had long been petitioning to have a 3-2 bar established on campus, but to little avail. Editorials in the Collegian explained that local 3-2 bars around Fort Collins were run down, dirty, and just not the kind of place you wanted to take a date or go relax with your friends. But the plight of the students for an on-campus 3.2 beer facility would go dismissed until the issue came to a boiling point in the fall of 1968. Alcohol, in fact, represented just one complaint on a long list of grievances the student body felt had been committed against them. In the 1960s, the university worked to dramatically increase its enrollment, adding new programs, constructing new buildings, and changing the name of the school from Colorado A&M to Colorado State University. But in the fall of 1966, over 12,000 students returned to CSU to find that over the summer, the State Board of Agriculture, which was the university's governing body, had suddenly abolished the long-held practice of weekly co-ed visiting hours in its dorms. Male and female students could no longer visit each other in the residence halls on Sunday afternoons or any other time. And a university curfew was implemented that required all female students to be in their dorms by 11 p.m. on weeknights, while male students had no curfew at all. Students felt that in a dawning era of political and cultural change, the university was taking their rights from them and intentionally ignoring their needs. Students were deeply affected by things such as the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, the Kent State Massacre, and growing hippie culture. But as many male students were being drafted and sent off to war, many to never come back, they were denied the ability to drink on campus or visit the dorms of their friends of the opposite sex. Clearly, that did not sit well with the student body. So in October of 1968, leaders of various student government organizations declared war on the university's student center. Student body president Doug Phelps led a bold, roughly week-long liberation of the university's student center. Students hoped to have more say in the student center. After all, it was student fee-funded. They decided to camp out and sleep in the student center for the week and held meetings and workshops in an atmosphere that can only be described as utter chaos. On October 10, 1968, the Liberation Committee held an all-school vote that, if passed, would carry forward with an FAC in the Student Center with beer provided through donations. They also directly confronted the State Board of Agriculture, issuing a statement to the board declaring the following. The board's motion on the issue of beer in the Student Center is clearly a denial of students' right to decide issues affecting their personal lives. So on October 18, 1968, student body president Doug Phelps and other members of the student government gathered in the Grand Ballroom at 3 p.m. with over 3,000 of their fellow students and cases upon cases of Coors Banquet. In the bustling and overcrowded room, Phelps stepped up to the microphone behind a pyramid of beer while his fellow students erupted into a standing ovation and passed around can openers and cups. After warning them of the potential consequences of participation in this event, Phelps declared, I intend to remain cracked open a can of beer and held it up to his lips. Although Phelps never actually drank any of his beer, it appeared to most of the onlookers as though he did, so many other students followed suit, drinking their Coors and cheering for the moment. In total, 179 students were detained by campus police and all faced disciplinary action from the university, and about 30 students, including Phelps, were issued summons to appear in court. Now, it's incredibly important to emphasize that the beer in the beer in was merely a symbolic gesture to advocate for the integrity and empowerment of the student voice. And even though the beer in on its own wouldn't be enough to bring Fort Collins prohibition to an end, it sent a message to both Colorado State University and the city of Fort Collins that the culture of the city was changing, largely due to its growingly diverse population of students who were more than willing to put up a fight for their rights. 
Full-strength alcohol would finally be legalized in April of 1969. Today, it seems a little silly to imagine a version of Fort Collins without booze. After all, we are the microbrew capital of Colorado. But for almost 70 years, our bustling little city was dry. The beer in of 1968 was about much more than beer. Students felt that their voices were being stifled and wanted to make sure that their rights were not only respected, but heard. So drink up, my friends, and celebrate this history, knowing that thanks to the Student Liberation Committee, we can not only enjoy a legal drink from time to time, but also rest easy knowing that even as students, we can enact big change. <laughs>